We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun, for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I have watched so much Dateline where you see someone who you is innocent and they are like running or lying to police. I'm like, why? You're you're innocent or touching things. And see, I, shock and panic does things to people that you just can't describe. It turns you into someone that you would never be. It makes you make choices you would never make. On HBO Max's The Flight Attendant, Kaylee Cuoco plays Cassie, who wakes up next to a dead body and proceeds to do, well, almost everything wrong. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talk to Emmy-nominated actor Kaylee Cuoco about her critically acclaimed and now multiple Emmy-nominated series, the first to come out of her new production company. Later in the episode, we also chat with Michelle Visage from reigning Emmy competition series champ RuPaul's Drag Race. But first, on the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast Roundtable, we look at the various long-form acting categories. It's all next on Variety's Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hey everyone, it's another Roundtable. I am Variety's Michael Schneider, joined as always by Danielle Terciano. Hey, hey, you, Danielle, Silently you can't waving. wave. Silently <laughs> waving. This is, this is audio. <laughs> you can't <laughs> wave. People can't see you. <laughs> and Jazz Take. Hello, Jazz. Hi. Wave <laughs> it as well. And joining us this week, Diane Garrett. Diane, welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you for welcoming me. Absolutely. We're, we're sort of in this interesting stage of the Emmy campaign now where uh, the phase two voting hasn't started yet. Uh, Danielle's busy with the phase two special editions, extra editions of, of Variety. But, uh, you know, the, the campaigning hasn't quite really picked back up yet, except for a few things here and there. Jazz, you and I had a chance to head on over to the Hollywood Bowl and see uh, Cynthia Revo perform uh, last week. She was incredible. She sang a couple of Aretha songs as a nod to genius Aretha. But, you know, that was uh, sort of a, you know, back in the swing of things. It was like the old days, going to an event, seeing people, uh, you know. <laughs> How, how'd you feel? What did you think of the uh the experience. I thought she was phenomenal. And if she didn't pick up a few votes after that, I'll be very surprised. I mean, she, I think I wrote it in my review that I posted that if there were roof to on the Hollywood bowl, she would have like blown that roof off with the, her song selections. 
And yeah, I think it, she closed the show with an Aretha number and it was perfect. Remind me of the song again. It's She did Freeway of Love. Freeway of Love. And it she had the house, you know, she had the audience wanting more and by that point they were eating out of her hand. So incredible performance and a great yeah, it felt like old times, a concert at the bowl. It was definitely at least sort of, you know, play to her strengths. And and you're right. Uh, it's a crowded category. But, uh, you know, this is, you know, if, if, if anything, it didn't hurt uh, having an event like this out there. And, and uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, so so we shall see. But nonetheless, she was amazing. Um Jazz, it was good to see you in person. Knock on wood, uh, everyone's safe. Uh, it is a little odd to be back in a large venue outdoors. Um, you know, hopefully most people were vaccinated, but nonetheless, uh, it is wild that we're living in these times where you're, you're constantly in the back of your head. It's 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 on your mind. Like, is this yep. f if is this event is this FYC event going to be the thing that sends me to the hospital? Um, <laughs> 2021, everyone. What commitment to your jobs, I will just say. I, I got that invite and was just like, you know, I want, I would love to see her. And I'm just not comfortable going into a crowd, even though it is open air. And, you know, I, in theory, wouldn't have to sit with riffraff. No offense. I mean, not you guys, but like people I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I assumed they weren't going to just sit you next to somebody you didn't know and not have proper space. Well, they did. Um, but I was they 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 did Danielle. Oh, they did so I'm us. very yeah. glad that I did not go. <laughs> I I will catch highlights on YouTube and thank you for your service. It was packed. It was I, I think it was a, a full house. Definitely, I don't know how many people were not wearing a mask, but yeah, I mean, it's almost as if Delta the you know the pandemic virus didn't exist and people were just back to their old ways and. Like Mike said, you know, we're praying that's not the one that that somebody says, guess what? I caught COVID there and all of a sudden we're going to get an email. I mean, that's the, the but that's exactly what you just said was was the I thought the beauty of the event was, you know, back to normal. Like you go to the bowl, you want the experience of the bowl. You want to be eating, you want to be drinking, you want to be hanging out with friends that's why I was like not fully comfortable. So like everyone's going to be eating and drinking around me. No one's going to be wearing masks. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Yeah. D Diane, are you, have you gone to any uh, I, premieres I or say, events I have yet? Not. No, I'm sorry. I didn't talk over you. Um, no, I have not. But my question is about the parking at the bowl because leaving, uh, you know, even all the COVIDness of it all, I'm not sure I'm ready for that stacked parking experience at the bowl. But you guys probably are savvy and had your ways around it. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Left the car at home and walked home. Oh, well, you live close. But see, but that's not an option like, for most of us. <laughs> I do live like 30 minutes away. Mike has a clever plan. Mike, do you want to show your oh. plan of what you and Maria did? Well, we uh, the, the, there's a shuttle, so you could park at the zoo, and then for six bucks, you hop on the shuttle. Everyone on the shuttle was wearing a mask. 
So there was that sense of people, you know, were sort of half like taking it seriously and, and wearing their masks uh, for, for the most part uh, until they sat down in their seats. And then when everyone was eating, you know, sort of took their masks off. So it, I, I think there's a, a, a much more attention to detail because of where we live in Southern California um, and, and people are still sort of taking it seriously. But um it helped that it was an outdoor event, and I, I think we're still feeling a little safer given the, the rate of vaccinations in Southern California. But that was a week ago, and things are changing fast. And so, you know, that again brings us to the question of what's it going to be like for the Emmys this year? Uh, I saw the, the Hollywood Critics Association just announced that they're going to do their event outdoors at the Bonaventure downtown. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. Um, you know, the, the, the TV Academy did their L.A. Emmys outdoors at their headquarters in North Hollywood. And, and I'll be curious to see if they end up doing an outdoor event outside the Microsoft Theater come September if things don't improve. I would just like to throw this out there. The beach is right there. The Ind- Independent Spirit Awards, do it on the beach. Let's do the Emmys on the beach. <laughs> I Emmys will attend the- that. <laughs> no one wants me to attend that. They don't care about me. But, you know, just you need a huge air- open area for all of these nominees. It's right there. Yeah. And se- yeah, September on the beach is better than February or March on the beach. So and I'm it's with better you, than It's better than September downtown sweating in a black dress on a red carpet, I think. But maybe I'm an outlier. I have been talking to, Mike, you mentioned, you know, the, the issues that we're working on for phase two, special Emmy issues. And so I've been talking to a number of nominees and I've kind of been asking, testing the waters with a lot of them about how do you feel? You know, how do you feel about coming back? in person. Some of you have to travel here. Um, and it's been a really interesting mix of responses of people who, you know, they're just excited to be nominated and want to celebrate with their cast and their crew and people they haven't seen in over a year because they've been in different parts of the world in some instances, um, working on different projects. And then there are some people who are just saying, you know, I hope we can do it safely. Like if, if I feel confident we can do it safely, I'll be okay. But I'm not sure I feel confident yet, given how much is changing, as you just mentioned. And there haven't been any, Mike, have there been any other events that have been canceled in the last two weeks? Because it is so fluid, as you say. I hadn't noticed any uh, impact on the FYC events, but I'm not as tuned in as you are. Yeah, I mean, there haven't been many FYC events, but I know premieres and other things are still continuing. There's just, uh, you know, they're they're doing the rapid testing. They're doing the, you know, required vaccination. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different events coming up. Uh, I'm still on the fence on whether or not I'm going to attend uh, some of them. But, you know, I, I do... I do like seeing people in person and, and you know, sort of catching up with folks. And, and so and that's what we've missed over the past year and a half. So so I'm kind of on the fence for for some of these events. But, um, yeah, nothing major. Now, we are seeing uh, more uh, instances of covid positive testing on, on things like the mass singer. Um, but production continues. So <laughs> why let that get in the way? Go ahead, everyone. <laughs> I mean, they're all wearing masks on the, the mask singers. Yeah, I was just so. going to say, the contestants are safe. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, I was going to say, I know Nat Geo are looking at having some events outside later on in the month. So we'll see. I mean, yeah, I've not seen anything get canceled, to your point, Diane. Um, and, like, 
Mike was saying, like a lot of the events now are doing, you know, rapid testing on site, which I think just adds to your little, you know, like takes away from the anxiety. Like, you know, if there's 70 people in a room and we're all vaccinated and we're all, we've all been rapid tested, that I think is a sweet spot. Whereas if you've got hundreds, and I think I said it last week, it's like when you hit the hundred mark, the anxiety just shoots through the roof. Yeah, and that's just going to have to be a necessary expense that all these events uh, add on because I know those rapid tests aren't cheap. But it's if you want to do an in-person event, then you're going to have to do that for the foreseeable future. So, well, let's talk about uh, some of the categories. Uh, since we mentioned Cynthia Revo, uh, why don't we get into the limited acting categories this week and, and kick things off with lead actress in a limited or anthology series or movie. So we've got Cynthia Revo from Genius Aretha. We've got Michaela Cole from I May Destroy You. We got Elizabeth Olsen from WandaVision, Anya Taylor-Joy from The Queen's Gambit, and Kate Winslet from Mayor of Easttown. Jazz, I'll kick things off with you this week. Uh, what's, what's your favorite of the moment? Uh, who, who do you think's uh, the front runner? My favorite and my front runner, I still stand by Kate Winslet for Mayor of Easttown just because I think that, that is still like in the ether. People are discovering the show still and they're still talking about it. I feel, you know, where Anya Taylor-Joy was like the lead contender a few months ago, I don't know anybody talking about that show right now. Like I've not heard anything and I feel that Michaela Cole and I May Destroy You is really is loved. Like, I think, Danielle, you've been saying it for ages. But <laughs> I don't know. I think the race could be between Kate Winslet and Michaela Cole. And definitely Cynthia would have picked up, like, a few hundred votes that night, maybe, from voters. I'm sure they would have watched. I was like, yep, she's going to get my vote. I mean, I don't disagree with everything you just said, but I do – as beloved as I May Destroy You is, I do wonder if visibility in these next few weeks is going to make the difference because I don't know how much every, I don't know how much anybody is going to do, quite frankly, but I do know that thus far, people like Kate, people like Elizabeth Olsen have been much more front and center. And I, and I think that's helped keep them in that conversation that you just mentioned, you know, is still happening about Mayor. And like, the crazy thing is I kind of feel like given WandaVision's insane amount of nominations overall, like the most for any limited series, but the second most for any series period pushes her a little bit more forward in this conversation than I would have expected. I don't think she's a front runner by any means, but I do feel like, you know, if there's somebody to kind of watch in the next few weeks, it's her because we kind of expect what's going to happen around Kate. We kind of expect what's going to happen around Michaela. Um, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with WandaVision in general. Yeah, this is this is a tight category. Uh, Diane, do you have a favorite? Um, it's always hard for me to come up with a favorite, but um, I did like Anya a lot on when she came with Queen's Gamut, and she just just the tone of the show wasn't just something you see all the time. So I really enjoyed that. I mean. Kate Winslet, of course, is great in Merritt Easttown. Um, I did have some accent issues as a, someone from Philadelphia with that, but I'll, I'll put that aside. Um, and with Mar Michaela Cole, I just, I wonder if that's too spiky for some voters, uh, whether or not, and it's a little older too. It just, I think my sentimental favorite would be Anya 
on this, but I, I'm probably the outlier on that. So. No, this no, is, I think this a is lot a... of people. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think a lot of people feel that way. Like there's a reason she picked up all those awards in the winter season, you know, and a lot of people didn't get to vote for her in that winter season that are TV Academy members that will vote for her now. Yeah, this is this is one of the tough categories to to pick because you can make a case, uh, you know, and and I think we have for just about everyone. You know, Michaela has picked up quite a few wins recently with BAFTA, with Peabody, and you know, I made a story. It just feels like one of those you know shows that even though it was a year ago, over a year ago, it could still you know sort of make a comeback. Um, Maybe they do vote straight ticket WandaVision. We've talked about that. So Elizabeth could uh, pick up that. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy, like you all mentioned, she was the front runner for the longest time. But again, it does feel like that was a while ago now. And I think people will almost feel like, didn't we already give it to her? Wait, we didn't yet, but it feels like we did already. And Kate Winslet and Mayor of Easttown just feels a little more you know, like we were just talking about it. And it's it's sort of top of mind. So, you know, it's a jump ball. I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Kate Winslet right now, but, uh, you know, it, it could change again. And that's where, uh, Danielle, you're right, campaigning could make the difference in the next couple of weeks. Um, so we shall see there. And then uh, moving over to the lead actor in a limited or anthology series or movie category. Uh, speaking of WandaVision, we got Paul Bettany. We've got... Uh, the Undoings, Hugh Grant. We have uh, Ewan McGregor from Halston. We got uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda from Hamilton. And we got Leslie Odom Jr. from Hamilton as well. So, again, um, you know, you could you know, either have the Hamilton folks uh, cancel each other out and that leaves room for, I don't know, Ewan McGregor to come through. It, this is <laughs> I don't know what to do with this category. I'll be honest with you. Like I, I was very confused. Like there were people on nomination morning that I just assumed were getting it that didn't. And then I was like, I'm going to throw my hands up. Cause I don't know. Like, I, I think I do feel like the Hamilton guys will, will cancel each other out. I think also just that is this even a TV movie aspect to that will cancel it out. Um, and I think, unfortunately, I don't know. It, it's just so weird because I just said, like, watch Elizabeth Olsen in the other category. But I almost feel like there will be more of a genre bias against Paul in this category because his character was so much more steeped in that superhero imagery all season long. I don't know why. I mean, it's probably if you did the math, it's probably not actually true, but it just feels that way. Um, and I, I wonder if that might skew things away in, in a sense because they haven't historically embraced that genre in this category and so then I look at it and I'm like well is it Hugh and Ewan like and I feel like in that instance it's Hugh because they like the un it felt like they liked the undoing well I was gonna say it felt like they liked the undoing more than they liked Halston but I don't know if that's actually true because Halston did receive a number of below the line nominations so it's Maybe it's it's not as unbalanced as I think. I don't I don't know. I I it's a, I just don't know what to do with this category. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's another tough one. I'm so with you. I am so with you. I'm like just before this, I was like, so wait, are you telling me Hamilton's going to go home empty-handed? And like, you gave it twelve nominations. Is it going to win in the crafts? Like where? How? Like yes, in the crafts. What about in acting? So I with you i don't know what to do with this category um i would love i don't know i i just have no 
comment anymore on on this. You've said it all. Um, I also like the other thing that I was thinking about, and I was thinking about it not just with this category, but for some reason it jumped out with this category a little bit more. Is you know normally a lot of these people like Anya, who we just talked about, or even like Hugh, we've talked about them through Winter Awards season, whether they made it in or not. And now Emmy is their last stop. And then for the other people, this is their first stop. But with no Golden Globes that next year, it almost feels like this is, and this is not true because I'm not trying to discount the guilds, but like it almost feels like this is their only stop. This is their only huge stop. Yes, there are guilds coming, but we don't always talk about them at the same level that we're talking about these. And so I wonder if that is also going to come into play in any respects. If people are going to look at ballots and say, you know whether whether the HFPA would have doesn't matter, but now we are the only big, big group. What should we do about that in terms of who they award? Yeah. And I'm, I still wonder, like, is there really not going to be a Globes this year? Well, that's fair. <laughs> that's another, that's a whole other <laughs> subject. Well, I mean, operating huh. under the assumption right now that there's not, I wonder if that will come into play with any votes. Yeah. But how strategic do you think people are in I don't know. voting? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I also, you know, the, the number of voting members has dropped so, so drastically that I don't know because the, the voting pool is so different now than it was even just a few years ago. Um, I do think that it's a smarter, leaner, better educated pool than it has been in the past. I think we've seen that from some of the things that it's actually watched and nominated. But I don't know. This one's another tough one. I, I do think that's why there's still a shot that Lin-Manuel Miranda takes it home because, you know, clearly, you know, the question of Hamilton and whether or not it's really a TV movie aside, they voted. Uh, I mean, they nominated the hell out of it. So clearly there's a fan base and, you know, this could be where everyone sort of thinks, okay, I can't give it all to Hamilton, but I got to give something to Hamilton and Lin-Manuel Miranda is, you know, the force and deserves an Emmy. So, and it's sort of a category where no one's really excited about maybe the other nominees as well. So by default, uh, you give it to Lin-Manuel and and let him have his moment. (laughs) Diane, what do you think? I don't know. I have the same, uh, uh, you know, shruggy hands here um, with this. I mean, I I see you with the Hamilton, and but at the same token, I'm like, do people feel like Lin Manuel Miranda has already gotten enough love? I mean, you know, head in the heights. It's just hard to know. I mean, Hugh Grant, yeah, you know, people watched The Undoing, but they didn't love it. So, I really, I don't have a a clear vote. Maybe it is that Wandavision straight ticket, and boom, Paul Bettany. <laughs> And then we'll be talking about maybe there will be a season two and then people will be pissed because it shouldn't have been in the limited <laughs> category. And well, they we'll did say back to that again. I mean, they left it open for years from now. Well, after the movies, you know, I remember Kevin was saying it's going from here to movies and that's why it's a limited series. But that doesn't mean that there would never be a return. And maybe sooner rather than later. All right. Supporting actress in a limited or anthology series or movie. We got our uh, our former podcast star, Renee Elise Goldsberry, uh, speaking of the Hamilton. And then we got also from Hamilton, Philippa Sue, 
We've got uh, two from Mayor of Easttown, the one and only Gene Smart, as well as Julianne Nicholson. Uh, from Queen's Gambit, you got Moses Ingram. And then you got Catherine Hahn from WandaVision. And of all the WandaVision nominees, there's where you put your money on the Catherine Hahn. Right, Danielle? I think so. I mean, and also what's so crazy is I just remember writing how many times she's been snubbed in the past for other projects. So like, yes, she's been great in WandaVision, but it's also like, you know what, guys, you missed opportunities before. This can be a catch all if she wins this. Um, But but it's also I'm not I mean, I don't think that it's. I don't think it's like 100 percent a lot. I do think Gene Smart, mayor of Easttown, still has a lot of heat because of the double nomination and because, you know, especially for anybody who may not be voting for her in comedy series who may want to give it to Kaylee or someone else, you know, I think they might say, all right, well, we'll get, we'll check her box off here. Um, but I don't know. I mean, Catherine was such a singular, that was such a singular character, like what she had to do with the layers of manipulation and, and all the different genre uh, sitcom styles that she's playing in. And, and who doesn't, I think we, I think I said this on one of the previous podcasts, but like, who didn't have her Agatha all along in their head for just weeks after that? Like, we're going to always attribute that back to her, even though she did not write it. So, you know, I think she's she's definitely the front runner. Yeah. So so Jazz, uh, you know, either Gene Smart has gets two Emmys on, on uh, September 19 or, or maybe enough voters say, you know what, I'm going to vote Gene Smart for Best Actress. So I don't need to give it to her for supporting. I'm going to give it to Catherine Hahn. I mean, what, what do you think? What's what's going through the minds of folks? I would not be upset nor surprised if Gene Smart did win two Emmys that night um, come September. But I think it's Catherine Hahn's to lose, really. I think she's been a front runner from the beginning. And like Danielle said, you know, she became an, a, a, you know, an internet sensation with Agatha all along. She was memed everywhere you go. You're still seeing that online still. And so she's out there. She's in the ether. And I mean, it's time to, you know, time to give her some love. That performance is phenomenal. And yeah, I do think. Catherine and I don't know. Jean might take a few of those votes away. I, but Catherine's out there. Yeah, it does feel like down to those two, Diane. Or do you uh, do you have a spoiler? I'm going to be counter um, just right. a little bit though. Um, uh, Jean Smart. I if I were to bet, I'd I'd lean that way. And even though I just said about Hamilton being, come on. I, I really like Renee in that, and I liked her in Girls 5 Ava, which isn't the role she was nominated for, but it I think other people might share affection for her performance in that, and it could color their judgment at, at voting time. So going, going across the grain on, the, on that. I like it. I like it. Well, now on to supporting actor, and uh, what, what to do with this category? <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, I, I was like looking at this. I'm like, do we really even need to talk about this category? <laughs> it's it's a it's an odd one. I mean, the one thing you could say is like 
No one in this category has ever been nominated before, so it's going to be a first-timer, whoever wins this category. So uh, it's it's a eclectic mix of Thomas Brody, Brody Sangster from The Queen's Gambit. You've got uh, David Diggs. Love me some David Diggs from Hamilton. Uh, Papa Esidiu, uh from I May Destroy You. Uh, Jonathan Groff, also from Hamilton, Evan Peters from Mayor of Easttown, and Anthony Ramos, also from Hamilton. Um, You got a sense that maybe the Hamilton three cancel each other out. Although I will say, I mean, David Diggs has been everywhere over the past couple of years. So there is a chance that people just say, you know what? Here's a career Emmy for you, David, even though you're pretty young because you're in so many different things. And, you know, he's he's great in Snowpiercer. He's great in like, you know, so much that he does. So I would be mad at a David Diggs Emmy. But, you know, this this is another sort of uh, jump ball. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree, though. I kind of thought, you know, yes, this is one where he's up against two co-stars. But I thought I still thought David would take it because name recognition alone. You know, a lot of these other actors are younger, are newer. We know who they are, but some of the older TV Academy members, I'm not sure do. And so I'm not sure if they have the overall votes. Um, I don't, I, I also don't want to, this, this, I, this might be a crazy thing to say, but like, I don't want to count out Evan Peters for that same reason, because although he is so young, I also feel like he's been in so much. Like I've never heard anybody not like him in something he's been in. And so just, again, seeing him on what, what doesn't doesn't matter what he's even on for. We just we like what you do, you know. <laughs> right, right. It's like I'm voting for WandaVision for you, Evan right, Peters, right, even right. though you're yeah, nominated for be. <laughs> Mayor of Easttown. It doesn't matter, Jazz. I think it's the name recognition in this one. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I was hoping you'd be like, you know what? We're going to skip this category, but no, we're going to sit here and talk about it. So, um, yeah, it's really like he whose name is recognized best that's where i am that and i wouldn't be upset whoever wins for this yeah so could be down to david or or evan peters oh jonathan groff's got a a recognizable name as well but i i do i I keep going back to david diggs just because he's like like we're saying i mean what hasn't he done over the past two years and and he's done a really good job campaigning for for everything and promoting everything he does and just feels like he's everywhere so and if you vote for him maybe he'll bring his dog (laughs) exactly um yeah i'm 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 aboard the david train on this one all right well (laughs) this There are a lot of interesting categories this year uh, at the Emmys. That's not one of them. So on that note, uh, we got many more categories to go, many more weeks to go as this Emmy slog continues. So for now, thanks, Diane, for dropping on by. Thanks, guys. Just and, we, we all just silent wave yeah. on the way out. I know. <laughs> Jazz and Danielle, we'll see you next week. On HBO Max's comedy The Flight Attendant, Kaylee Cuoco is Cassie Bowden, a flight attendant who winds up spending the night in a hotel room with a man she met on the plane. When she wakes up in a stupor the next morning, after a drunken night that she doesn't even remember, the man is dead. And so begins the cat and mouse game as she tries to piece together what happened. Ms. Bowden, I'm Special Agent Kim Hammond. This is Special Agent Van White. Let me start by gently pointing out that fleeing an interview is not the best way for us to meet. Oh, no, I 
I wasn't fleeing. I... <laughs> yeah. The rest of the first-class cabin crew waited as requested. Yeah, I know. I, these international flights, they just turned my brain to mush. I was on autopilot, but I'm here now. We appreciate your time. Do you think I need my union rep or anything? Do you think you need your union rep or anything? This is just a simple cursory interview to get some background information on Alexander Sokolov's travel to Bangkok. And frankly, we could just really use your cooperation. Oh, of course. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so nervous. Mm. I, um, I want to help. Good. So, you spoke to Mr. Sokolov. Uh, you know, we spoke a few times, like drink orders and that kind of thing. <laughs> Did you see Mr. Sokolov after the flight landed in Bangkok? On side of the airport. Why would I... I recently spoke with Cuoco about The Flight Attendant, nominated for Outstanding Comedy at the Emmys, in addition to her nod for Best Comedy Actress and nine nominations overall. The story of how she found the novel The Flight Attendant before Reese Witherspoon got her hands on it is a triumph in itself, and her first experience as an executive producer was eye-opening for the star. We also talk about what she misses most about The Big Bang Theory, her role as the title character in the animated series Harley Quinn, and her plans to play Doris Day in an upcoming limited series. And also, she gives a few hints about what to expect in season two of The Flight Attendant. But first, I began by asking her how she's holding up during the pandemic. I'm actually in New York. I'm, I'm lucky that I'm working right now, um, so that's very exciting. And just getting back out there and, you know, exactly. Yeah. Like these, this is all what the, what it is now. This is what we're doing. Zooms and um, figure out a new way. So I'm just grateful that we get to keep working. Um, you're not starting season two yet though, right? Is this? No, I'm shooting. Um, no, I'm shooting a movie in New York with Pete Davidson until the end of the month. And then I'll go straight into flight attendant. Oh, cool. Cool. Well, you know, flight attendants. What, like, I still love this tale of how it all came together. And in a world where, you know, passion projects take forever to actually pull off, this is pretty astounding how sort of swift you're able to make this happen and astounding that it was your first production company project. I, I mean, there's just all sorts of amazing things. You must like look at this and say, this shouldn't have worked. This oh, shouldn't sure. have happened. And it did. For sure. This, yeah, I mean, as you know, yes, yeah, stuff takes forever. The, the development process, yeah, a passion project, it's, it's really tough out there to get stuff off the ground. But I mean, I, it's for, I think it's been four years since I found, since I actually physically found the book. And actually, I found the book before my company even existed. Um, it was just totally me by myself. And then when I, when I got the rights, I'm like, okay, this is what's going to launch my production company. And that was like our first, our first thing, but it was, yeah, I guess, I mean, it felt like forever, but comparatively, like you hear things where you're like that script sat on my desk for 10 years. Like you, these things take so long. Yeah. Um, so I guess comparatively, we actually were pretty swift about it. And then obviously we would have even been done sooner, but pandemic. So it was, it's been a wild ride. Well, and, and I love that because it started with you just seeing a log line, right? I mean, you just yes. saw a log line for this book and there was something that you were like, there's something here. Yes, I was actually um, just looking at Amazon on my phone and looking at upcoming releases very innocently, not even really caring. 
And I saw the flight attendant and it, I read exactly a two, a two sentence log line. And I saw the cover and I was like, I got this in, this sounds so cheesy, but I really did. I got this really weird feeling and this chill. It was like this whole experience, like flashed before my eyes. And I immediately called, I called my attorney and I was like, did Reese Witherspoon get the rights to the flight attendant? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, just, can you just look? I know it's a weird question. Just look. So he's like, no. I said, okay, great. That's the book. That's the one I want. And my team who I've been with since I was 14 years old, by the way, my entire team, they know me so well. And they're like, what is she? What did she? Okay. Cause they know that once I say something, there's really no turning back. Yeah. Um, so they all read it and they loved it. And I, I went to Warner, I walked in to see Peter Roth. I'm like, I think this is the next show. He, and he goes, are you going to play Cassie? I'm like, uh, yeah. And he goes, okay, I'll read it this weekend. And by Monday he had set me up with Berlanti and Steve Yockey. And it was kind of, it was wild. And then I had, I had pitched it. The reason also why I think th- things went really quickly is I had pitched it. My first pitch was to Sarah Aubrey, who was at TNT at the time. And this was like my first outing to be like, I got this book and what do you think? And we're going to do this. And she's like, I love it. Can you give me a minute? And I didn't know what that meant. And then like six seconds later, I read that she's now running this new, this new streamer called HBO Max and that she wants to bring Flight Attendant with her. So that's kind of how that went down. I was like, okay, that was easy. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't normally work like that. Yeah, no, there, there's some great serendipity there. But I, I love, by the way, the Reese Witherspoon part of it. Have you, actually, have you talked to her at all recently? Has she said like, damn, I wish I had gotten that project? No, <laughs> she has enough. She does um, have a lot. No, I've actually, can you believe I've actually never met her? No, I really idolized her from afar. And she's so smart. I mean, I feel like she was like the first recently, not recently in these years to like start these, her, you know, Big Little Lies and do these books. I'm like, that's what I want to do. So I was making a joke because she jumps on everything so quickly. I thought for sure she would have uh, gotten this one, but I would love to meet her one day. Well, by the way, you saw recently, they're talking about her company, Hello Sunshine, is is worth like maybe like a billion dollars or something. So there's some goals for for Yes Norman. Uh, I was just like, I could not, I mean, I can believe it. All the stuff they've done, I'm, I'm not totally surprised, but that is truly incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there you go. You're oh yeah. You're, Billion you're dollar company, baby. Here we come. You're off to a good start. Off yeah. To a good start. Um, <laughs> so the reaction to, to the flight attendant must have been also beyond your wildest expectations. What were some of your, your favorite uh, sort of responses and reactions when you started to see people, you know, consume this and then really devour this series? You know, I was obviously very nervous for it to, for what people were going to say. Um, one, because I've been playing the same thing for so long. And then now this was totally my idea. And I found the book and I like, I knew I was going to live or die with this project. And I'm like, oh my God, I just hope, I hope, I kind of hope we'd be in the middle of the pack. I hope they'd say it was fine. She was fine. And I could just get by. Um And then I, and I told my team, I was like, we're not going to read anything. Like, we're not going to read anything when it comes out. Let's just, and then I'll never forget the morning it aired or the night it first aired in the morning. And I I think it was variety. It was variety. I think it was, we'll take credit. credit. I think it was, I think it was the first one I read. I really do. And it was so gleaming. And my publicist sent it to me and she goes, you just have to read this. I'm like, no, no, I really don't. She goes, you have to read this. And I read it and I'm like, oh my God. It was one of those moments where it's like, they like us. They really like us. It was literally that. 
And I said, oh my God, okay, this is a good start. We're starting really high. And then people just kept loving it. And I think that they loved, you know, we obviously premiered during a terrible time um, during COVID and at the height of just but it was kind of brilliant too. We we premiered on Thanksgiving COVID year, and I I think it was it was perfect because people were obviously at home, possibly a little drunk, a little full, laying with their families most likely on the couch. And I'm like, this is going to be perfect. You know, turn this on, escape from what's happening, and kind of dive into this like cat and mouse, really interesting. Got great music. It's visually cool. I think it just it was the right time. For yeah. something like this and it was fun yes it was dark we have moments but it's a really fun show yeah yeah no i think uh greg berlanti called it funny alias i think uh how, how yeah he, i think is a perfect way to sort of it's it's exactly you know we we've had so so much darkness in the world recently and even on tv that it's sort of fun to see a whodunit that has so much humor attached to it too that's and, a that's very funny that he said that no that's a great that's a great description, but yeah, it had, there was something light about it. And again, it was very visually appealing and the tiling and really fun cast. And we made sure, you know, the book itself is very dark. Um, there was not a moment or a line of comedy in, in, in the book. And obviously I loved the book, but I loved Cassie and I thought, okay, we have to find a way to make this, make audiences think this is a total blast with some darkness, with some heightened comedy. Um, and finding that tone was pretty much impossible. If I, if we talked about tone so much over the course of this show. I, I, I never want to use the word tone again. I've used it. I've overused it now. We cannot, but it was such, we kept getting those questions of like, what is the tone? I'm like, I don't know. It's kind of everything. It kind of goes up and down. Um, we recreated a tone. I don't know. Well, I think that's what was sort of appealing about the show, too, is just when it gets maybe a little too dark or a little too, like, on the edge of your seat, then there's a moment of, of either levity or you can relate to Cassie being the mess that she is. There are those moments where you're like, oh, Cassie, why are you What are you doing? Why are you, why are you, where are you going? Stop. I remember when I was, when originally, well, in the book, obviously, but when we were writing it and we were seeing how she cleans up how she's cleaning up, you know, and touching everything around the murder scene. And the only reason I was totally on board with this is because I have watched so much Dateline where you see someone who you is innocent and they are like running or lying to police. I'm like, why? You're you're innocent or touching things. And see, I, shock and panic does things to people that you just can't describe. It turns you into someone that you would never be. It makes you make choices you would never make. Um, and so that shock, she just kept, I mean, just bad move after bad move. You're just like, oh, my God. Yeah. And then and then, you know, how she interacts with the authorities. And it's <laughs> and, and you've been in that situation before where you're talking to someone and suddenly it's like, I'm sounding guilty. I'm saying, yeah, and I'm not. But how do I feel suddenly guilty? Like the next it's thing. Like, I yeah, it's like Zasha's character when she's like, just stop talking. Cassie, just stop talking. Like, that's the theme of the whole show. Stop talking. Stop talking. She's constantly getting herself in a disastrous mess. And meanwhile, you have Rosie Perez's character on the side who actually <laughs> is like, like digging herself into something. And there are all these elements. And, and so. There's so much more now that you, you've sort of opened this world up. Now, originally, 
you were thinking just this was going to be a limited series, right? It's really, yeah, it ideally was a limited series. I mean, we did the book and then that was it. And that was pretty much the plan. And then they were like, we want to do another season. I thought, well, people want to see these characters for a little bit longer than, and now we get to, we're totally doing what we want. I mean, we don't have the book as our roadmap anymore. Um, but people obviously fell in love with these people. And yes, Rosie, I mean, she was so good. And I think that's why Rosie was so excited. Cause I'm like, no, you're going to have fun with this. Like you get to do some like gnarly shit. You, and she's like, really? I'm like, yes. And I think she was very excited to play something like that. And then for her to get nominated, I was just like, oh my God, this was so amazing. No, that, that was, that must've been pretty cool too, just to see the, the recognition. Oh, we call, we were screaming on the phone, jumping up and down. She was so excited. So you guys are about ready to, to start shooting. Yes. So so I'm sure like you sort of have a pretty good idea of where things are going. Uh, how excited are you to sort of get back and, and sort of explore now new arenas, where, where Cassie's going, where all these characters are going. To see I can't wait. I know. I can't wait. We start um, end of September and the scripts are so good. She definitely, you know, she's going to be trying to live a sober life while still trying to be who she was. And I think that's what she's going to struggle with the most is, am I the same person I was before? Or are people going to like me? Am I still fun? Am I still, and then still trying to have her job. And she's also a CIA asset, which is a very small job. And this is not some sort of agent. She is a teeny tiny asset but she seems to get confused as to what is needed from her and gets herself stuck in a situation that she should not be in. All right. That's a good <laughs> teaser. So, yeah. so, so, so no, no vodka at the beginning of the season, but I'm sure that it's the, the, the call of the, uh, the, the, the vodka may be too hard to, uh, it will, um, it will definitely rear its ugly face. That's for sure. One of my favorite things is uh, for, for the mailer that uh, HBO Max sent out. Of course, you know, the, the part of the story is her struggling with her uh, demons, including her alcoholism. So HBO Max, of course, helpfully sent us all bottles of vodka. <laughs> I know. By the way, I welcome. I, I never turned down free, free booze. But Wasn't that uh, cute with the little mini airline bottles? I loved love that. Uh, but, but I do love the whole like, Hey, you know, she's struggling. She's working through some things. So let's celebrate. Here's some, some fun. Yeah, that's what Cassie would do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how do you sort of, like, what is your relationship with Cassie? What's, you know, are you protective of this character? What's sort of your emotional attachment or, or sort of relationship with this character? You know, as far as her, I, I am protective of her. I love her. I feel like she's such a big part of me. I don't have those sort of deep-seated issues that she has. But as her, as like, she's a very reactive person. The world kind of spins around her. And I actually feel like I am like that, too. I'm like that as a person. I'm like that as an actor. Um, I go in and I want things to happen to me and I want to react in the moment. I'm not not a big preparer. I really like to feel as I go. Um, it's just my process and it's how I've always been. I also, I think I'm used to, because I've done so much sitcom, things moving very quickly and changes very quickly and being able to adapt to whatever's going on um, is a gift that I've I've been able to um, to have for a long time. But I think it's from all of that. But she, you know, she's... That's why I loved her from the beginning when I read the book. It's like, obviously, she does terrible things and makes horrible choices, but she's also so endearing. You fucking love her. You want her to be okay. You forgive her. It's like her her friends. Everyone forgives her. And I think that's what it what's going to be interesting about season two, 
taking the alcohol away somewhat and her being like, I have no, there's no excuse for her anymore. She loved to hide behind the alcohol. Um, also thinking about that and how that was looking, I want to be very careful. You know, she's a functioning alcoholic. So this is someone who is her normal self when she's slowly basically medicating herself all day long. Um, and it's only when all that is taken away is when she starts to fall because you have to be careful. You can't play someone who's like drunk all day long. Like you can't play that. So I figured, well, I think she's normal until it's truly gone. Um, you know, that's, that, that's her, her main, her, her main line, but she's been an actor's dream because I feel like I played like 10 characters in one, you know, she got to be funny and very upset tears, one scene and, um, laughing the other and being sarcastic. And I got to do all the things and I truly don't think anyone would have hired me for this. So I had to do it myself. Yeah, no, that that it's it's great being your own executive producer. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm doing it. <laughs> what has that experience been like for you to to be a, an EP as well? To sort of you know be in, in that world, uh, you, you digging it? Uh, obviously, you, you've got a new overall deal with Warner Brothers. Uh, this is sort of a, the the new 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 angle of your life too. I love it. I can totally see my path being solely in producing down the line. Like I told, I told Berlanti, their whole team, I'm like, I want your offices. So when they go take over and like get an entire building, I want where they are. That's my goal. Um, I love it. I had no interest in it early on at all. And then obviously this has been my very first experience with it. And it's also very, um, I've learned a lot from my fellow producers. I learned that I don't know as much as I thought and how much of a team effort it takes to put a show on. It makes me have massive respect for everything that airs because I know how hard it is to get it up and running. And no one sits there and goes, I hope we make an okay show. People are trying to make good stuff. It's It made me a lot less judgmental. And I have major gratitude towards what happens behind the scenes. I mean, ugh, my post-production team, which I obviously have known as an actor, exists. I had no idea what they do for you. They are they are making you look good. Um, it's been very eye-opening. Yeah. No. No. I bet. I bet. I mean, it's it is amazing that these these are little corporations. These shows when you're employing hundreds of people doing yes. the things. And, and it's amazing. And we, as an actor, we get the glory. We get. Um, oh my God. But, and we're the only ones that are seen. And then it's like, you look behind the curtain, there are 300 people making you look that good. And I've really made it a point to say that multiple times in multiple and whoever I can tell um, how much those people meant to me and how they really put this show up. And on our last day of shooting, I gave this little tiny speech to everybody. And I told them, I said, you guys, a show like this is, is so cheesy, but it is a train. And if one wheel is off that we will not make it. And everyone had to pull their weight. And I, I see that now, you know, I see what it really truly takes. So it's been a couple of years now since, since Big Bang ended. Uh, I actually had the treat of, uh, I got to be there for the, uh, the finale taping. I thought we've met in person before. So yeah, yeah. In, in the past. Um, we have, I know we have. It's been, yeah, I know. It's, so it's was, been a while, but yes. That was a treat to be there, to see, like, just the, the amount of emotion on stage, to, to see everyone just sort of go through it and, and still produce, like, this really fun, uh, you know, finale for everyone. Uh, That's now, so cool you were there for that. Wow. So it, it's, it's a, it was special to be able to be there yes. and see you all sort of, you know, process all of that. Now, now that it's been a couple of years, you sort of 
look back and, and you know, is there, do you still sort of miss being in front of an audience? Uh, have you sort of processed now um, sort of that experience? Uh, how, how do you sort of look back now on, on all those years? I'll never forget being in front of an audience is still one of my favorite things ever. Um, it's so immediate. It's so raw. It's so real. You're truly making someone laugh right in front of you. And there's no, no better feeling in the whole world. Um, it's, it's interesting, obviously when the show ended, you know, I was convinced and actually most of us were that we were doing a 13th season. I was convinced. I thought, of course we are. Um, and even that day, the fateful day when we were told we weren't, I thought the meeting was because we were told we were doing season 13. So, and it, since it was the beginning of season 12, I had a few months to like deal with it because it was really shocking. And obviously all things have to come to an end at some point. And, you know, I was so sad about it. And then we had this amazing last season and everything. And Obviously, someone was watching out for me because I don't know if I would be here talking to you about this show. I don't know if I had done another year of it. So I'm so grateful to how this happened. Um, it was supposed to end when it did, at least for me. And I, I don't know where I, this I don't know what would have happened. It's so strange because then COVID happened and maybe I wouldn't have gotten flight attendant up off the ground at, at that point. Um, so I'm actually so grateful that it was supposed to be what it was. You know, it was hard at the time. But I look back at it so fondly. I mean, that was an unreal experience. I mean, working with Chuck and the best of the best and making people laugh weekly. I mean, honestly, that show, the most incredible moments were we ha we would do weekly uh, make a wish and they would come and they would, they would choose their make a wish to be on set with us. And it's like, that's what that was all about. That's crazy. And those are the moments that mean so much to me because the show meant so much to so many people. And I understand that because I have my own shows that mean that much to me that I get giddy over that. I'm like, Oh my God, like, and I see them and I idolize them. And I know that feeling, yeah. um, but I owe my career to it. I really do. And to Chuck and to, to all those people. Uh, what, what are those shows for you? Uh, the, the, the ones that excited you over the years. Uh, Seinfeld. Um, I ran into Julie Louis-Dreyfus at an event many years ago and I became a total wacko. Like I was like, oh my God, as if I'd never seen anybody, but I, I lived and breathed by her. And even at the shows after, and then even new adventures of old Christine and, and then Veep, like I was so obsessed with her and truly followed her. So I understand. And of course, friends there's, I have been a friends fanatic for years and full house. That was my kid's show. So then when it came back, I was like, I have to watch this. Like these things are nostalgic for us. And so I understand when someone sees us and what's really weird. And this happened recently, a kid came up to me, he was 14 to tell me big bang was his favorite show. And I was like, how is, I'm like, so you were two when our show, I couldn't believe. I'm like, I don't, I can't. He goes, yeah, my dad started letting me watch it a few years ago and I've been binging it. But like people were born and turned of age watching our show. Yeah. So it's really, it's wild, but I understand. Yeah, no. And I bet you probably watched the, the Friends uh, reunion that they just did and thought like one day you guys think the Big Bang cast, you'll, you'll do something similar, I'm sure. So you know, maybe they'll recreate the sets and do sort of a similar reunion of some sort. Um, that, that I did think that obviously I watched the reunion. I think I was probably the first person to watch it, like waiting by the TV. Oh, the minute they walked on that stage, 
I got my, I just, cause they're so big bang is across from the friend stage and they have, um, they have a big plaque on their stage. It's the friend stage. And we got to get our own. We're big bang theory stage. So they're right across from each other. And which was also an interesting omen since I, I love the show so much, but yeah, when I watched the reunion, I definitely thought I would, I would love to do that one day. I, I would love to do that with our show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure when, when another streaming service launches at some point, they're going to need content and they're going to come to you guys and say, come on. Just, blink. Just <laughs> blink. It's probably already launched. Right. Right. So <laughs> the nostalgia is moving quicker these days. I, you better like keep up. I know. Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. You guys will do your reunion in like two years. Like you're just off the air, but yeah, I was going to say, give me a minute. Let's um, couple other things obviously uh you know i know uh fans are probably always asking about harley quinn and season three and and sort of where where things stand there people love harley quinn i i can't believe we're still getting away with it let me tell you i kept thinking they were going to be like you can't say these things um when they pitched it to me a couple years ago i was like do you know who i i play the girl next door on big bang theory i can't say these things like this is so bad um, but wow, it has been a total ride. People are like obsessed with the show. I love playing her. I don't know how it happened, but it's been insane. And it's like Harley Quinn on acid while drinking a Starbucks. That's kind of how I describe her. <laughs> and I, I love how they write the show. It's, it's so modern and like, you feel like you're talking to your girlfriend and then she's out, you know, killing people. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I know people ship the whole Ivy Harley relationship too. Yeah, that was a great move. People love that. I think they've been waiting for that fantasy for a really long time, and we really played it real. We those girls are so in love, and it's it's this next season shows their relationship. It's very funny. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. yeah. Do we, know, do we know yet when it's coming back, or is it, that- um, very soon. I don't have a date, but we um, it should be like very, very soon. I don't know why we haven't announced a date. It's around the corner. And tell me a little bit about Doris Day. Yes, yeah, so we're you know we're in development, and it's it's you know a long process, but I am so excited. We are uh, we have an amazing idea of what we want to do which might be a little bit unexpected, which I'm excited about, but I've always wanted to play her. I've, I've, I've been such a, I've idolized her for so long. And again, back to Peter Roth, he's obviously a big mentor in my life. He called me and he said, Hey, do you want to play Doris Day? And I was like, yeah. And that was last October when that call came in. So we worked on getting the rights and, you know, Doris didn't want any, any movie, any show about her until she passed away. It was a, it was a rule of hers. And so once that happened, um, the Doris Day estate felt like it should be with Warner Brothers. That was Doris's home for so long. And um, the fact that they wanted me to play her and that they agreed to that was was a big honor. So I'm hoping it's me a very special project. Yeah, no, that'll be great. What, what kind of yeah. uh, sort of research or what's what sort of uh, how, how are you kind of getting into that? Um, I'm sure watched a ton of old things. Watching all the movies. I actually, the week that he called me about it, so last October, I watched like six movies that day. Like I immediately, I wasn't even hired yet. Like I wasn't even part of it. He just asked if I would like to be. And I immediately was like, oh my God, I have to play her. And then learning about her and her love for animals and also her major struggles behind the camera. You know, she was truly America's sweetheart, but she had a rough life and met some really bad men and um, that took major advantage of her and it was very, very tough. So 
it's, I want to show both sides of her. You know, she was a real, she was an amazing person and I just feel honored to be able to do it. So I, I love that, that Peter Roth uh, continues to be a, a mentor. I mean, no one loves television and, and knows more about TV than, than Peter Roth. So true. So true. And with the best reputation, one of the best people in the business. Yeah. And I've been really worried for him over the past year because I don't know, is he going to be able to hug? <laughs> Will we be able to return to normalcy where we can still get Peter Roth hugs or are we going to have to do the Peter Roth fist bump or I, I don't know. When it's so funny. So when COVID hit and when it became social distancing, the first thing I said was, what is Peter Roth going to do? That was a big concern. Um, I thought a lot about that. And I'm sure he did too. There's nothing like a Peter Roth hug. I mean, there's no one that loves television more. That was a great thing to say. And no one that was a bigger pillar at that studio. He has been such, you see, every story I have comes back to Peter. He's been a huge mentor, a father figure to me. Um, He's, he's had, he's been so supportive of all everything that happens. I get a text from Peter. Amazing. We're cheering for I mean, it's, he's like a, he's family to me and he's given me a lot of opportunity. He's believed in me for a long time. And I, I just owe a lot to him. That's, that's great. That, that's really great. Um, so, and, and obviously helped you get your co- production company off the ground. Uh, you know, what are, tell me a little more ambitions, anything else that you're sort of looking at or anything that you're excited about? Uh, that, that you're looking to do? Yeah, we have a lot of um, shows in, uh, we have a lot of shows in our in development right now that we are so excited about. Um, again, we made, I made it a point with my company that is totally female driven. We have me and three other women. And I said, guys, I'm never going to have a meeting with you to tell you what I want to do or what you should be searching for. This, this company is all from the heart. It's called Yes Norman for a reason. It's named after my dog. Like there's so many this is an authentic, um, gut-driven company, and what you feel, go for it. And um, you know, I want to tell good stories. What kind of message do we want to tell? Is this right for me? Is that the person I want to work with? Those are the questions I ask, and I want to give opportunity. I'm excited to be able to give opportunity to someone that needs it and that wants it and that wants to tell their story. And I think what's been cool, obviously, Flight Attendant has done very well, and so the studio has been so supportive of me. And they're supporting my decisions. And I don't throw throw spaghetti at the wall. We have like four shows that we're developing that I'm very serious about. But like that, that's it right now. And we don't take on more because I'm a I'm so personal with the people that I work with. Like they're hearing from me. I'm texting them. Like this isn't like you'll talk to 10 people and then me. I'm doing all of it. Um, they don't call me the octopus for nothing. I have my arms and everything. <laughs> I literally am like, that's that's how I do it. And until I, if I run out of arms, like, then that means I can't take that on. So um, it's just important that we're just, we, we go by, by our heart at the company. And I, I love that. Any more Amazon log lines that you're looking at that uh, you <laughs> we, that- op- <laughs> we optioned, I optioned a book um, called a season with mom actually recently. That is a true story with a baseball background in the book, which is interesting because I have no interest in baseball until I read this book. And, um, so that was the, that's the last one that we just, just optioned. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I don't know what's going to happen, but you know, all these things take so long. It's like, I don't know how things even get made. I'm like, how, how, why? Cause I just want to go shoot, right. uh, you know, but yeah. I'm excited for what's to come, you know, um, again, just telling, uh, sending, sending messages that I feel good about. 
That's Kaylee Cuoco, star and executive producer of The Flight Attendant, now streaming on HBO Max. And after the break, Michelle Visage of VH1's Emmy-winning competition series RuPaul's Drag Race. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. And we're back. It's the Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. Pop music fans remember Michelle Visage from the late 1980s and early 1990s as one-third of the group Seduction, whose hits included Two to Make It Right and Could This Be Love. She also can be heard on the hit song by TKA, Crash, among others. Later, she teamed up with RuPaul to host Morning Radio on New York's WKTU and also star with him on his VH1 talk show. That collaboration with RuPaul eventually led to a gig as a judge on RuPaul's Drag Race and its later spin-off series. Friday's Jazz Tanke caught up with Visage to discuss how Drag Race keeps things fresh, plus her acting plans and solo album. They also talk about her documentary Explant and sharing her story about her breast implant removal. Jazz began by asking when that album is coming. It's just so funny you said that because I was thinking about it today going, what am I waiting for? Like, what is it that I'm waiting for? I think I'm stopping, I'm talking myself out of it. Like I'm my own worst enemy. And it's like, you know, I don't know. So I just have to get the right songs and do it. And there are a million songwriters out there who will want to write for you. Yeah. So 11 nominations, nine for for Drag Race and two for Untucked. I mean, first of all, where were you when you found out about the Emmy nominations? It was five o'clock in the morning here. So I was in bed and it was so funny. I woke up to, so, you know, because we're filming, so I don't have many days off. So the days that we do have off, I sleep, you know, sleep in. When I say sleep in, maybe 7.30. But I think they were announced at like 5.30. So I woke up to a phone full of congratulations. And then, of course, I immediately look through it and text my makeup girl, Nicole, and, you know, congratulating everybody, of course, texting Randy and Fenton, the producers, texting Rue, Ross and Carson, just everybody involved. It's like a little phone party for like five minutes. And then you go and start scrolling the internet, looking for what, you know, categories and things like that. It's just what an honor. Like, can you imagine our little show being honored with all of these nominations? What a gift. I love that. The show itself is a gift, whether it's All Stars or Drag Race or Drag Race Espana or Drag Race Down <laughs> Under. Like, yeah. we could be here all day rallying it off. But, you know, how does Drag Race stay so fresh? And it's just so cutting edge, right? Like, it's at the bar and Drag Race is constantly at the top. Like, how does it, what's the that secret? You know, uh, you asked how we keep it fresh. And uh, often in interviews, I get asked what the difference is. Like, what's the difference, let's say season 13 from season 12. And to me, it's really obvious. It's the queens. 
it's the queens that keep it, it fresh. It's the queens that keep it interesting and moving and different. And because each one of these kids has a different story to tell. And it's so interesting to kind of go on, I'm going to use the J word, but to go on that journey with them because each one is a different story, you know, and it's like unbelievable to see their strength and their stick with itness and determination to get them to the main stage of RuPaul's Drag Race, whether they win or go home first, it's still something to behold, you know, that the fact that they have beat all the odds to make it there. And of course, the producers and the writers, you know, that work on the, the mini challenges and the challenges, they're just so brilliant. It's such a brilliant team. Um, they're the ones, and of course, RuPaul leading that helm, they're the ones that are brilliant and, and keep it fresh for sure. I love that. But how has, you know, you talk, you said like the Queens are the ones that keep it fresh and every season there's, you know, this, amazing group of queens I mean talk about how the art of drag has changed since you've become a judge whether it's like the makeup the you know the costumes just in general like whatever you see well I think I think drag has evolved greatly not completely but greatly in part due to drag race and you know the fact that we have things like YouTube to resource is a reason why drag has evolved so much because, you know, when I grew up drag was, you know, relegated to local bars. And let me tell you something, having come up in the Harlem ballroom scene, drag wasn't even a thing back then. Like drag was marginalized even within the community. Um, it was kind of like, you know, I'm going to use the word a joke lightly, but it wasn't, respected or revered the way it is now. And I remember being 17 year old me going, how is this not like the biggest thing? I've always been enamored with the art of drag and the art of illusion. It's just unbelievable. And the, and the power of makeup and hair and transformation. It's always been to me one of the, the highest art forms. And I couldn't understand why even people within the community weren't like, let's go to a drag show every single night. And RuPaul asked me yesterday if I could remember my first drag show. Honestly, I can't because I've been involved in it and it was always around for so long that I don't remember ever sitting down and going to a drag show. I think I was always involved and around it every single night. <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> but, um, but so you asked me how it has evolved. Well, everything evolves. We never stay in one place. You know, that's the beauty of learning and that's the beauty of the planet and how it works. So drag has evolved greatly because of, you know, fashion and beauty and YouTube and RuPaul's Drag Race and television and um, us opening our minds to the possibility that there, there is more than just the binary. Oh my gosh. And I love that you talk about, you know, moving to New York you know, from New Jersey. I mean, talk about yeah. being in New York, in that scene in the 80s, 90s, from New Jersey, right? Like, yeah, tell us that story. So I lived, I lived, I was literally like 40 minutes outside of New York City, right? But because I didn't, my family didn't have a lot of money, going to the big city was a big deal. You know, going, it, it, Train tickets cost money. Gasoline cost money. There was a toll to go through the Lincoln Tunnel. Um, so it all was expensive. So going to the city was a big outing. And I remember my mother 
who's from Brooklyn, New York, would take us, I don't know, like once or twice a year, you know, she'd say, let's go to New York City. I'll, I'll take you shopping. And it was a big deal. And it wasn't like, when I say shopping, it wasn't like we're going to Barney's or Bergdorf Goodman's. It was like, we'd go to some of the places downtown that were cool and funky. And I always loved Betsy Johnson, but it was always really expensive to buy her stuff. And, you know, it was a treat. So for me growing up, I was always enamored by the big city. So looking back, I probably should have gone to uni in Los Angeles or London because I wa always wanted to be an actress. But um, the big city was just, you know, this is New York City. It's where all acting dreams come true. So I went to uni in New York at a place called AMDA, American Musical Dramatic Academy. And there is a Lambda. And I could have gone there for like, could transfer there. But again, I was so enamored with New York and my mother, um, I used to go to the, in my days, <laughs> in the mid eighties, <laughs> teen clubs were a big thing. So all the ages of 13 to 19 were the only ones allowed in. If you were 12, you couldn't go. If you were 20, you couldn't go. It was a soda bar. You know, it was only soda, juices, water. There was no alcohol and it was just kids. And it was, when I tell you six nights a week, six nights a week, I would travel from New York, New Jersey, back and forth, Long Island, whatever, when we can get rides. Um, then when I started driving at 17, we drove ourselves. But then I moved to New York City and um, we didn't have teen clubs. And of course, you know, the legal age in the UK is 18. It's 21 uh, in the clubs in New York. So I couldn't go to any clubs and I felt like a part of me was lost. So I would go home on the weekends. I would take a train back to New Jersey on the weekends. And my mother literally said to me after like two months, of when I moved to New York, she said, you're not coming home anymore. You're always welcome. I love you, but you need to go to the clubs there and be discovered. You're never going to be discovered in small town, New Jersey. So obviously being 17, 18 years old, how was I going to do that? Um, I opened my mail one day at uni at my little apartment that I shared with four other girls. It was a one bedroom apartment and there were four single beds throughout the apartment. We tried to make a four bedroom into a dormitory. I mean, a one bedroom into a dorm. Anyway, my mother had sent me a fake ID. And she said, no excuses. Start going out to the nightclubs. Start networking yourself. I love you, you know? And that's how I started. My mother sent me a fake ID and I went to the nightclubs and I got involved straight away into, the, um, into a house that basically, you know, pulled me in. I became one of them. And that's where my journey began in the Harlem ballroom scene. Oh my gosh. Your mom sounds like such a badass. She was, she was really cool. And she knew she's not with us anymore, but she was my biggest fan. And she knew from the start that nothing was going to be handed to me. They had no power to, to, you know, to make phone calls and help. So yeah. um, they knew nothing about showbiz and they knew that that's all I ever wanted to do. And, you know, she did what she could do. Oh my gosh, I love that. And I'm you mentioned acting. I mean, last I guess it was last week's episode at um what, during Coven Girls when you get up and you show Kylie how it's done. Do you still have that like I want to act bug or that acting bug is something that lives inside of me and this year after the pandemic and everything was the first time that I I consciously said out loud to my husband I said I want to spend the next year focusing on breaking into scripted because I don't think people look at me as an actor. I think they say, oh, you know, we know she's a singer. I mean, I just did a show on the West End before lockdown happened for six months. And it's like, 
people that come had no idea that I act. So I um, am looking forward to auditioning and starting to open some casting people's eyes and let them know that not only am I available, but I'm eager and excited to show people what I can do and blow them away. Listen, I, I'm not, I'm not claiming to be Meryl Streep, but I absolutely want the opportunities to start getting my feet wet. And you, you've given us tasters like in Dragon the Classics, the Brady Bunch. I mean, that, I was like, we need more I Michelle. One line. Come on, Jazz. No, I was like, we need more Michelle. <laughs> it was so funny. So funny. That was hilarious. That They added that, you know, in the original, she didn't have a line, but I was like, you got to let me say something. And that was really fun. That was so silly. But yeah, I want to be able to, and not just comedy. I want to get in there and do some drama and just show people that there's more to me than what they think there is. I love that. Watch out. Michelle Visage is going to take yes. over the acting world. You've done, I, I, I never did get to see you and everybody, everybody's talking about Jamie, but uh, more, you know, you've still got plenty more to, to come. Um, I'm going to switch the lanes for a second because you've just reminded me about Explant, which was such a powerful documentary yes. about your journey um, and breast, you know, the, your experience with breast implants and what that was doing to you. Like, talk about, and you'd been mentioning it on, you know, the What's the Tea podcast that you were doing with Rue. Like, what made you want to tell this story and get this out there for women? Because it was such an important story to tell. Thank you so much. Um, well, the reason I did it is because I knew I wasn't alone and I couldn't believe that we were all taken advantage so much so by not just, you know, the, in the FDA, but also the medical institution just doesn't listen to us. We women constantly have to fight to be heard. And there are so many women that are sick and dying. And I'm not exaggerating. There's plenty that aren't, but there are plenty that are dying from having their breast implants in their body after being told by the FDA that they're safe and they won't you know, bother you or they won't cause any problems. They're now realizing that they do cause problems. And this documentary, Explant, is not to shame anybody. It, it, you know, If you want plastic surgery, that is fine. Jazz, you know this because I talked to you about it. But what it is there to do is to let women make informed decisions on what they're putting into their body. Let them know what could happen. You know, the surgeons have to be more responsible and start telling women what can absolutely happen. Not a guarantee, but certainly no guarantee that it won't happen. It caused my autoimmune. And I'm saying that nobody's going to, you know, nobody will ever go on record, but nobody in my family has the autoimmune that I have. And it is very genetic. Um, I know it was caused by my breast implants. So I, I, the reason I talked about it and did this documentary is because there are hundreds of thousands, if not will, millions of women that are struggling with breast implant illness. They're sick and they don't know why. And they go to the doctor and the doctor says, no, it's, it's not your breast implants. Or they don't even think to think that it's their breast implants. So it's just to inform women and to help them make an educated, informed decision about what's going in their body. And you're feeling much better now, right? Like health-wise. Feeling much better. It was the best decision I made. I am extremely fat, flat-chested now. 
And I don't, um, I don't have a problem with it at all. I don't accept any shame about it. Like, I don't care. This is the way, like, we really can't control the way that we're born. It is what it is. We can Mm -hmm. modify it, but we can't control it. And uh, there's no shame. There shouldn't be any shame. We need to take that away. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, that's a whole other conversation about what society does to women and the shaming, but we'll save that for for another podcast. Exactly. Um, you, we did touch on music briefly. I am, as you probably know, I think every time it comes on my Spotify, I'm always tweeting you, but, uh, steps. And uh, the city. Uh, of like, course you would love that. You're English. It's so funny because so many people, at least in America, have no idea who Steps is. And then they saw the right. song with me, so they listened to it and they were in love. And now we've got a whole bunch of new Steps fans be in America because of the collaboration. So I'm so honored that you love it. Oh my gosh. No, as soon as I saw Steps and Michelle Visage, I was like, wait, am I dreaming? But how did that actually happen? I mean, I know you, you've kind of been living in the UK for a long time. Or you, she's always in the UK. Like, send her back. She's American. She belongs here. Ah, um, uh, so I go back and forth. I have a place over there and a place over here. My heart is very much over there. Sorry, Jazz. I love it so much. I'll probably end up there after my kids graduate uni full time. But I'll, you know, I'll always have a place here and I'll always have a place there. And um, Faye from Steps, Faye Tozer, and I had the same um, professional dance partner when we did Strictly, and we both actually started talking when I was competing because. It is the most grueling, mentally difficult thing I've ever done. And having somebody who had just gone through it the year before was so helpful for me to talk to and cry to and bitch to. And um, we had the same partner. So she knew everything that I was going through. And then we just got a connection. We had a friendship. And um, I was. they asked me to um, introduce them at the Royal Variety. American people that are listening to it have no idea what we're talking about. But it's just been <laughs> kind of like that like a talent show, basically. Um, so I introduced, I was doing an interview with them um, to announce their new album, What the Future Holds, when they were getting ready to do Royal Variety. And they said to me, oh, you know, they'd never done a collab. And they said, we'd love for you to do a song with us. And I was like, right. You know how many times people go, oh, we should do something together. And they never yeah. do it. Right. Their manager literally texted or emailed me the next day and was like, they're serious about it. And I was like, oh my God. Absolutely. And then that's kind of how it got done. And the video is amazing. If people are listening, Google, like YouTube, the video, because then you get to see Michelle Visage doing the steps choreography, which is amazing. Talk about filming that video and learning that choreo. So the song, the the song is called Heartbreak in this city. And um, listen, the, the funny thing is I did a tweet about, because I love all things British, as you know. So I'd been a fan of Steps for many years also, you know, all the girl groups, Girls Aloud, you know, Atomic Kit and all them. Anyway, um, I did a tweet, I think in 2013, that said, I know how I could be loved more in the UK. I'll just change my name to Michelle from Steps. So I basically manifested this shit in 2013. Um, And it was so funny because H from Steps had kept that tweet and he put it out there. He's like, I just want to show you what I found in my pictures. Um, And, you know, the thing that people don't know about Steps, American people anyway, is if they're called, they're called Steps because every one of their songs has steps, has choreography that goes with their songs. Um, And they have so many iconic songs since the 90s. And when 
they said, we're going to do a video and we're going to do choreo with it. I was like, oh, I'm really actually living my steps fantasy. So then when I went into choreography, I couldn't even believe how welcoming and loving and wonderful they were to me and helpful. And now I got to be an original steps choreography. Love it. I know. So fun. I mean, you know, the variety team is a huge fan of your music. And I know we talked about it earlier, but the album, Michelle, you need to have a solo album. Aww. When? Well, listen, it's, I go, this is what I stop myself because I overthink things being a Virgo. I want everybody else. Oh. You know, I worry about everybody else instead of worrying about me. And then there's like, part of me that wants to do a standards album with just all musical theater. And then there's part of me that wants to do like a pop album. And I'm like, do they need a 53 year old? I'm about to be 53 in September pop star. And then I'm like, well, listen, if Paul Abdul could do it, I certainly can do it. Um, so I go back and forth, but, um, there's, there's stuff on the horizon jazz. I'll just say that without being that person who's like, Oh, just you wait, something coming secret project. I'm not going to do that. There is stuff on the horizon that may possibly be happening very soon. And um, I'm so excited that you care. I really am. That's really touching. Thank you. We do care. Virgos Unite, I feel you. I understand it completely. But listen, you know, Paula Abdul, Madonna, share they're all, that's nothing is stopping them. So you can, you can do it all. I mean, what are you listening to? Like, what's on your playlist? I listen to Broadway music. That's what I listen to. Although, recently in the car, because I, I like listen to podcasts a lot as well. Recently, I've been listening to, you know, I have Sirius XM, so I'm a big Howard Stern fan. So I listen, been listening to 50s on five and getting into 50s music lately and listening to the vocal recordings on how they did those things in one take and how they're like, you hear the pops in the, in the analog and you hear the way it was done. There's a history just in the recording that I love the richness of. So I've been listening a lot to Brenda Lee and Frankie Lyman and the teenagers, a lot of older music and getting into that. I don't know why, maybe because I'm old, but that's, that's older. (laughs) I don't know. Um, so when I'm not listening to that in podcasts, I'm listening to Broadway stuff. Love it. I'm going to go back to, to drag race and how has this show, like we always read and hear about how, drag race has changed the life of a queen. How has it changed your life? Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? It's changed my life in in so many ways. First of all, being able, because after I left music, I went into radio. So I didn't really leave music, just left recording it. Went into radio and television a little bit with the RuPaul talk show, television acting. Like I told you, it's always been my passion that in music, I've always only ever wanted to perform. I wanted to be in movies. I wanted to be on television. So radio was, you know, the next best thing because I grew up with music. I grew up with radio. That was all I knew. I didn't have a musical family, like I said, and and radio was free. So, and I wasn't popular. So when the kids would be out at New Year's Eve parties, I'd be home writing down the top 100 songs on Z100 and, you know, getting a thrill out of writing down the songs and guessing what's going to be number one. So when I got into radio, and I started that with RuPaul. He brought me into be a sidekick on the VH1 talk show back in 1996. And that was a dream come true. 
And after that kind of went away and I stayed in radio, every, I had babies and I got married, everything kind of got put on hold. And I wish it didn't, I wish I didn't, I wish it wasn't so lazy, so to speak. Yeah. You know, I had kids and I get up at three o'clock in the morning to do a radio show, but I could have continued chasing my television and my acting dreams. And I didn't um, for whatever reason. So when I was asked to do drag race and was able to finally do it um, season three, because I wasn't in a, well, I had a boss. I had a situation with a boss for seasons one and two. You probably know the story. My boss was homophobic and wouldn't let me out of my contract to do the show. So I had to go to the president of the company season three, when they came back and asked again. And um, so I had to, I had to be a Karen and escalate the situation and go above my boss's hand. But in my case, um, it worked and the boss ended up getting fired and he was homophobic. So anyway, um, I sat down and I realized this is my dream. So how it's changed my life is not only am I able to do what I love to do, be around drag and be on television. It's two of my favorite things. And, and I mean, what's better than working with your best friend? That's something people dream of, Jazz. Like people dream of not only loving what they do and getting paid for it, but being able to work with their best friend and people that they love and respect is a gift. So for me, that has changed my life to be able to smile every day, every day I go to work, but also it's changed my life in a sense that I get to be a part of all of these incredible Queens life altering journeys that I get to see their dreams come true I get to be a part of it, whether it's tough love or, you know, fun love, whatever it is, I'm part of their lives in some way. And it's such an honor to be able to see them live out their, their truth. And drag is such an incredible art form, such a viable, incredible art form that it needs to always kind of be on the landscape. So, you know, obviously being able to pay my bills and put my, kid, my kids through college is, is a wonderful gift that does not go under or unappreciated by me in any way and everything else is, is just a blessing i know we've mentioned it before about the ever eternal request for madonna like be you know a dream judge would be to have madonna on the show but and obviously share but who else is there anybody else that you would love to have as a guest judge on the show let's get it out there Oh my gosh. There's so many. I mean, the list is so ridiculously long, obviously Sharon Madonna, Dolly Parton, Liza Minnelli, by the way, they're all super fans of the show. A lot of it has to do with timing. You know, the fact that we're still in a pandemic, there's mm. so much that goes on, but you know, the greats. And then some, we have a lot of, you know, newer, younger talent as well that we love to have on. So I think the beauty about guest judging on RuPaul's Drag Race is that everybody who does it in any country is because they're super fans of the show. I don't know any other show like that, that they can have guest judges on that are super fans of the show. And that's the reason they want to do it. That's Michelle Visage, star and judge of VH1's RuPaul's Drag Race. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. 
Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Emmy predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Daniel Terciano and Jazz Tanke, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.